Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. Let's get right into the message today. We are in part part four of a series, the five-week series, that we're talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're calling this series The Elephant in the Room. Did anybody find the elephant this morning? Yeah, some of you have been looking. We were strategic in this. The elephant is right up there this morning, hiding out on us. But we're talking about the elephant in the room. In fact, we're taking five weeks, and we're taking the time to answer some questions regarding the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is, in fact, that elephant that oftentimes we know is there. We read about the Holy Spirit, even as early as Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the faces of the earth. So very on the onset of the scriptures, we read about the Holy Spirit, and throughout the Bible, there are references to the Holy Spirit, but oftentimes, what do we do? We push him to the side, and we fail to talk about him because we just don't understand who he is. We're hoping, we're desiring that in the course of these five weeks, that we're getting a greater understanding, a greater grasp of what the Holy Spirit means to us and what his involvement is in our lives. And I hope by this point, as we are in part four, we're on the very tail end of this series, I hope that some of those questions that you've had over the years are beginning to be answered. And some of those things are beginning to come to light and you're truly understanding a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday, we're going to wrap up this series, and I've titled next Sunday's message, Purpose Versus Chaos. We're going to squelch some of those things, some of those issues that we've had over the last several years, many years, regarding the Holy Spirit, because quite honestly, sometimes things happen in chaos, and we blame it on the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to be straight up with you. Sometimes we're like, I'm just following the lead of the Holy Spirit. No, you're just nuts. Let me move on. We'll talk more about that next Sunday. I encourage you, be here. We're going to debunk some of those things. Our text this morning, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Say all people. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. I heard a guy talking one day and he said the reason that old men will dream dreams is because quite honestly they sleep more. I don't know if there's validity to that or not. But the Bible says that, that God's going to pour out his spirit upon all people sons and daughters will prophesy young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams i ask you today is that your desire individually personally is that your desire corporately as a church is that our desire god would you pour out your spirit upon us in a real way god i truly hunger for more of you lord i long for an outpouring of your spirit upon my life upon our church's life 
Not so that we can boast or, or brag and say, look at us, but so that all the glory and all the honor can be given back to God. In the book, Clear the Stage by Pastor Scott Wilson, and by the way, I've used this book several times in this series, and our staff is going through this book on a weekly basis, chapter by chapter, and we're, we're processing through what it means to really follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But in this book, he has this to say, speaking in tongues doesn't make you superior to people or churches who don't. Before you say amen, let me finish. It makes you superior to the person you were before you received the Spirit's power. That's what this is about. It's not so that we can boast. It's not so we can brag. It's not so that we can say, we've got Spirit. Yes, we do. We've got Spirit. How about you? It's so that we are no longer the same person that we were yesterday or the day before that or last week or last month or even last year, but we're changed and transformed and renewed by the Spirit of God. Church, we must come to the place in which we hunger for more of God than ever before, that our hunger for Him propels us forward so that we are not the same as we once were. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The word filled here literally means to fulfill or satisfy the desire of anyone. Come on, look at that. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And now in Matthew, it says, if you hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, you will be filled. And that filling is a satisfaction or a completion upon anyone and everyone that calls for it. So I wonder, are we filled to the capacity in which we're hungry? What I mean by this is if we desire little, are we filled little? I would venture to say yes. Blessed are those who hunger for the righteousness of God. They will be satisfied, fulfilled with what God has. If we long for more of Him, we will be filled to overflowing. In the book, I want to read a little excerpt. It says, many of us have right doctrines, but our hearts are reserved. I want you to let some of this sink in. We've got the right doctrine, but our hearts are reserved. We, we say we've given our whole heart to Jesus, but our prayers are routine and our praise is tepid. When you pray, are you aware that you're connecting to the one who spoke and all the galaxies were flung into space? 
Does it amaze you that the Son of God stepped out of the splendor of heaven to set foot on earth as a servant to live and die for those who ignore and despised him? If there's no wonder, there's no real praise. If we're not amazed, we're holding something back. If we're not stunned by the grace of God for sinners like us, we will serve half-heartedly or only in order to be noticed by people. How does that make you respond? Some in the room right now, you're, you're throwing up the defense wall. You've come up with a myriad of reasons why that's not you. Why that doesn't really apply to your life, why you don't need to have a hunger, or your hunger is enough, or one thing or another. But the truth of the matter is, God will fill you if you want to be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Are you truly desiring more of God than ever before, or are you satisfied with your connection as it stands? I heard a pastor say one time that you will never stay the same with God. You will either move closer to Him or further away. When you wake up in the morning, as your day pursues, you will either become closer to God or further away from Him. So again, let me ask you, are you truly desiring more of God or are you satisfied with where you are in your connection with Him? I truly believe that God wants to do so much more in our lives and that includes what the prophet Joel declared, that God desires to pour out His Spirit on all people. Yet we must come to the place that we are hungry for that outpouring, and I would venture to say that the corporate church in America has lost their hunger. We, we've lost our hunger. We're satisfied with routine. We're satisfied with just going to church. We're satisfied with just fulfilling an obligation and, and doing a job. We're satisfied with just coming in and we've got our spot. No one else can sit in our spot because that's our spot. No one can park in my parking spot. That's my parking spot. We're satisfied with that. We, we, we've, we've notated our spot. This is us. This is where we go. But are we really hungry for the presence of God? Today, I, I encourage you to, to open up your hearts. Will you truly hunger for more of Him and not just be satisfied with a, a Sunday morning service, but a true encounter with the Holy Spirit? No longer treating Him like the elephant in the room. That We know He's there. We know He's hanging out, but we're just going to avoid Him. We're going to push Him off into the shadows. We're going to make it difficult to find. We're just not going to look toward Him anymore. He's the elephant in the room. It's awkward. But those that hunger and thirst 
but the righteousness will be filled. And God desires to pour out his spirit upon all people. Will we desire that? You see, both Paul and, and the prophet Joel tell us in the scriptures that God says in the last days, he's going to pour out his spirit. And I truly believe that he wants to do that on all people. I look across our nation and quite honestly, our world, and there's a lot of craziness out there. I mean, there's just, you've got all spectrums, all sides of this thing, and, and I look at that, and I think, God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh in the last days, and, and here we are, by the way, if you don't realize that we're in the last days, we are there. There are times that I wake up and I think, man, can it get any worse? Can it look like we're any closer to the presence of God? I remember as a kid, man, pastors would get up and they would preach hellfire and brimstone. Get ready because you don't know. You may walk out the door today and a giant elephant may run across the parking lot and step on you and you'll die right there. Where are you going to go? Right? Maybe they didn't say elephant. They said a car. But hey, we're talking about elephants. And I remember, man, we, we so talked about the returning of our Lord and Savior. We so talked about the, the rapture of the church. I remember even as a kid, mom and dad would go out and they would do whatever they were doing and they'd leave me at home and, and I was hanging out at the house and they said, hey, we'll be home at 8 o'clock and it was 8.02. And I started looking out the front window and I'm thinking, okay, Jackie and Harold go to the church and they're good Christians. Are they still alive? Are they still over there? Or have they been raptured? Or I remember there were nights that I'd be laying in bed and, and mom and dad's bedroom was down the hall and, and I, would, I would get up and I would go down the hall just to see if I could hear them breathing. Did I miss the rapture? But can I just tell you, we're, we're so much closer now than we were then. In the last days, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, no matter how crazy it gets out there. I believe that we're living in a day and a time when we will see the greatest harvest for souls for the kingdom of God. But it will never take place unless we, the church, become hungry for more. As long as we're satisfied with just doing this, it will never, ever happen. God is not a magic genie. I don't know how many of you guys have seen Aladdin. It just came out. There's a debate in my family with, is it better than the original? And I'd say, how can you beat the original? Come on, somebody. But God is not the genie in the bottle. He uses people like you and, and like me. As we hunger for more of him, he pours out his spirit. Acts 1, 8 says, in, uh, says that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive a power. Why? So you can be witnesses for him. Jesus says that we're to go everywhere and share the good news of Jesus, making disciples of all nations. How are we going to do that unless we have the power? Just be honest. Man, some of us are so quiet about our relationship with Jesus because we're concerned about the ridicule. What would happen if you had a new power 
a new anointing, a new presence. See, God wants to pour out his spirit upon all people. Go with me back to a moment in the year 1906. April the 9th, 1906, a 34-year-old preacher named William Seymour began holding revival meetings in Los Angeles, California. Now, these meetings were a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Lord began to fill the place where they were meeting. People were being healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. They were truly encountering the presence of God more than they ever had before. Night after night, people would come in hungry and thirsty for more of God, and they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. It all began in a house on Bonnie Bray Street, but soon they outgrew that home and they went to a run-down building known as a tumble-down shack. It was the Apostolic Faith Mission on Azusa Street. Night after night, they met together and sought the very presence of God. Why am I sharing this story with you? Because out of that great revival began many of our mainstream Pentecostal churches, including the Assemblies of God. But just as this outpouring of the Spirit happened on Azusa Street, just as the outpouring of God happened in the book of Acts, these events, these moments, were in the past. And I don't want us, the church, to rest on the stories of yesterday, but I believe that God desires for us to passionately pursue Him in the present. You see, sometimes we can get so excited telling the stories of yesteryear that we lose sight of what God wants to do here and now. For the next few moments, I want to tell you about two questions or talk about two questions regarding the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Number one is this. What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a spiritual encounter or experience following salvation where a follower is filled with with the presence of God. Literally, the word baptize means to immerse. That's what we do when we water baptize somebody. Here in just about a month and a half, we're going to have a, a water baptism over at Liberty Pool when we have our sizzling summer in July. We're going to immerse people in water. And this signifies the dying of the old self and the resurrection of the new. In other words, my old lifestyle is gone, but from this point on, I desire to follow after what God has in my life. We are immersed in the water. Now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we believe that an individual is immersed or completely saturated with the presence of the Lord. I'm told that the early Greeks would use this term baptize or baptism 
in reference to that of a, a ship that is sinking into the water and submerged in that water. They would use this word baptize or baptism in reference to a community that was so engulfed with people, overwhelmed with people, they were immersed or baptized with people. Therefore, as one is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're like a, a sunken ship that's submerged in water. They're, they're completely immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked in sessions one, two, and three that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we're saved. We give our lives to Christ, when we begin our relationship with Him. You see, salvation is a prerequisite to the encounter of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is not a specific time frame, however, that's attached to this experience. You get saved, now you're filled. No, it's not a, a certain time period that this is going to happen. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is a personal experience between you and God. For some, yes, it happens right away. They give their lives to Christ, and, and in that moment, they continue to seek Him, they continue to cry out, and, and suddenly they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're immersed in the presence of God. Yet, for others, it takes a while. I remember in my personal life, it seemed like we had revival services all the time, and some of them were inside revival. Some of them we had a, a little uh, canopy area in the back, a pavilion area in the back of the church, and we'd have revivals outside. And it seemed like every one of those revival services, I would see God, God, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled. But inevitably, I wasn't. Until I believe it was one July night out in the outdoor pavilion revival, God filled me with the Holy Spirit. You see, for some, receiving this infilling is not instantaneous. For some, it happens right away. But here's what I want you to hear. Listen carefully to this, especially if you've grown up in the charismatic Pentecostal service and, and maybe it took you a while to receive the Holy Spirit, or maybe you still have never felt like you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Never allow this to cause you to question God's love or acceptance of you. Listen carefully. Never allow this time frame to cause you to question God's love or acceptance for you. It does not allow, it does not always occur at a specific time for everyone. God is a personal God who works in his own personal time frame for each and every one of us. In the New Testament, there was a natural progression of moving toward this experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. This experience or this encounter of being baptized in the Holy Spirit was so critical in the early church that when they heard about someone giving their life to Christ or being saved, but yet they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit yet, they would send spiritual leadership to that person to pray for them. Let, let me read the account. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they, say it with me, sent... Did you say it with me? Let's try that again. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they 
sent Peter and John there. Why did they send Peter and John? Because there was an urgency, there was an importance, there was a need for that next step in the relationship with Jesus. As soon as they arrived, as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers and received the Holy Spirit. Look at that. They didn't come in for the journey. I don't know about you, but I get home from, from driving. I mean, two hours, I'm zonked. I'm done. I'm tired. I don't want to drive anymore. I get home, and what do I do? I lay down on the couch. I've got to take a nap. Right? Anybody else like that? Could you imagine having to walk your journey or ride on the back of a mule or, or a camel or whatever mode of transportation they use? In fact, did you know that, that Honda was the very first vehicle ever created? The Bible says that the, the disciples were in the upper room all in one accord. <laughs> so maybe they took their accord to these people. I don't know. Let me go on. As soon as they arrived, they didn't rest from their journey. They didn't stop and, and eat a meal. They didn't get something to drink to, to quench the parchedness of their life. But they, they didn't unpack their luggage, no. They instantly, as soon as they arrived, began to pray for the new believer. Why? Because they knew the urgency. If it was vital for them, isn't it vital for us? that we're hungry for more of God. That we desire a, a true encounter of His presence. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means taken to a brand new place into the presence of God Almighty. Of allowing Him to, to so consume us, to immerse our lives with His presence that our hunger and our longing for more of Him is never quenched, but we continuously have this desire for more and more of His presence. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Question number two, how do I know I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? How do I know? Now, week one, I covered this in, in great detail, and if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to, to week one's message. It was the foundation of everything that we've built on over the last few weeks. But let me remind you of those five results very quickly. I'm just going to hit them and move forward. Result number one, you will have a noticeable passion for God. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have a noticeable passion for God. Number two, you will have a deepened reverence for God. A deepened reverence for God. Number three, by the way, if you miss any of these in this moment, go back to session one and you can get them all in detail. Number three, you will have an intensified commitment to God. An intensified commitment. Number four, you will have a more active love for Jesus, for his word and for the lost and what does it mean to be lost somebody that doesn't have a relationship with jesus we're not talking about when you cause siri to recalculate okay we're talking about a person that is it does not have a relationship with jesus they haven't asked him to come into their life they're not walking the walk that he desires them to walk you will have a more active love for jesus his word and for the lost and finally number five you will have an unknown language i want to take just a few moments and i want to talk about number five 
Why? Because this is the one that causes the confusion. This is the one that causes the debate. We don't struggle with a passion or a reverence or a commitment to God. I don't think there's anyone that has an issue with a person having a more active love for Jesus, the Bible, or the lost. But when it comes to speaking in what we refer to as tongues or an unknown language or a spiritual language, a, a few eyebrows will be raised. There'll be some confusion maybe in the room and a lot of misunderstanding. Let's take just a moment. Let's dive into this. And by the way, again, next week, be here. We're going to talk about the difference between purpose and chaos. I shared that a moment ago, but I want to make sure that you're here next week. Look at this quote, Dr. George O. Wood, the former general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, in his book, Living in the Spirit, he makes this statement. If you look at the first century church, all the writers, look at that, all, every one of them, all the writers of the New Testament spoke in tongues. And the early church spoke in tongues. In other words, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every one of the writers of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, etc., etc., they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There was an urgency upon them to share with the new believer that they needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So Pentecostalism, he says, at its roots is basically a restorationist movement we believe that we can cut through 20 centuries of church tradition and get back to the original church wouldn't it be nice to cut through all the layers of tradition to cut through all the layers of preference and get back to the very foundation the basics of a walk with Jesus Christ. He says, that's what we believe. We've got to cut through 20 centuries of church tradition and get back to the original church. It doesn't mean that we do everything like the original church. But we're trying to have the same doctrine and experience of the early church. In other words, we're taking the entire Bible and applying all of it to our lives. Now, you're going to find that that's not what's always happening. Sometimes it's like, well, I want this and this, but this section here, I'm going to skip that. No, 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 no. Either God's word is God's word or it's not. Either it's applicable or it's not. The, the Bible is not a choose-your-own-adventure book. When you get to page 27, do you want to move forward or do you want to stay in the church? No. Read all of God's word and apply all of God's word. Every bit of the Bible is applicable to our lives. The term full gospel has been around for many years. Literally means utilizing all of the scriptures. Throughout this series, we're taking the time to talk about the evidence and the power of of the Holy Spirit based on what we see in the Bible based on what we see in scriptures there's an initial physical evidence experience that believers will have and that evidence according to God's word is speaking in tongues 
On the day of Pentecost, there were actually several physical signs. There were flames of fire resting on their heads. Acts chapter 2. Let me read it to you. Some of you are like, you are crazy, pastor. By the way, I'm really glad that the initial physical evidence is speaking in tongues and not flames of fire. I'm just saying. Acts 2, 4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Let me back up. 2, 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and they were filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Okay. So that was one of the evidence that they saw on the day of Pentecost, fire, flames upon their heads. There was a sound of a windstorm from heaven, as one translation puts it. There was also speaking in tongues or other languages. Some of them were earthly languages, known languages. Others were unknown by the believers. And since that day, believers in the New Testament and believers today have continued to have this experience of speaking in tongues or an unknown language when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's both initial and physical. Now, when we use the term initial physical evidence, now bear with me, I'm geeking out for just a moment, giving you a lot of stuff to chew on. When we use the term initial physical evidence, to identify speaking in tongues in relation to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want to break that apart just for a moment. Initial simply means speaking in tongues is what we see as the first indication of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So initial, it's the first. Physical means something that happens in the physical realm. So we can see it or we can hear it or we can witness what's happening. It's physical. The next is evidence. It's a term that means an outward sign or a manifestation that something is occurring. So we see this initial physical evidence. It means that when someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit, we actually see and hear an outward indication of this encounter or experience when they begin to speak in tongues. Now, the question that some of you are asking in your mind right now, why is speaking in tongues the initial physical evidence? Why didn't it end up being the flames of fire or the wind sound? Why, why is speaking in tongues, why did that end up being the initial physical evidence? I wish that I could give you an answer for that. There are some things that occur in the Bible that on this side of heaven, we're just not going to have the answer for. It could be that if we look at James chapter 3, we find out that the tongue is the most unruly member of the body. In fact, the Bible says there's power of life and death in the tongue. So it could be that the, since the tongue is the unruly member of the body, when the most unruly member of the body is overtaken or immersed in the presence of God, it will also show evidence of submission to Christ. Just a thought. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and And utilizing the infilling of the Holy Spirit is something that we should continue to seek. Too often the baptism in the Holy Spirit has been reduced to a a one-time 
encounter, a, a youth camp encounter, a summer tent revival encounter. But Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have the time to talk about the first portion of that scripture. That's a, a message for a whole nother day. But I want to look at the second half. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do you and I need to be refilled on a regular occurrence? Well, I've discovered something about people. We leak. Anybody else in the room just leak? I mean, Sunday, you leave this place, you're like, man, I'm so on fire. I forgot our teenagers, they leave camp, and they're like, I'm going to take my school for the kingdom of God. I'm going to start a Bible club, and we're going to get everybody saved. The principal's going to get saved. The teachers are going to get saved. Even the bully over there is going to get saved. It's going to be awesome. But August 21st hits, and we're like, hey. Because we haven't continued to seek the presence of God. We leak. We need to continuously call out to God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 13, we see Paul and Barnabas. They're on a ministry journey. They're seeing Gentiles come to know Christ. They're experiencing persecution in their lives. And these disciples had already experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit, yet they understood that as they ministered for God, as they shared the good news and they fought the spiritual battles that would come from spreading the word of God, that they would need to continuously encounter the Holy Spirit's presence and be filled by him. Scott Wilson, once again, in the book says this, when you pray in the Spirit, you build up your spiritual man. I don't know about you, but, but I need my spiritual life built up. I need more and more of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need more of God's presence in my life. He goes on to say, because God is speaking through you back to himself. So it's always in accord with his will. That's why Paul says, I wish all of you would pray in tongues. In other words, not only seek the Holy Spirit, but walk and move and live in the presence of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. Jesus knew that for us to effectively accomplish the Great Commission to go into all the world and share the good news with everyone, he knew that in order for us to accomplish this task, and quite honestly, in order for us just to continue to move forward in our relationship with him, that we would need a supernatural advocate. Now remember, last week, we discover that as an advocate is one that goes to battle for you. One that pleads the case of another. We need a supernatural advocate. So he gave us the elephant in the room, the Holy Spirit. Now, 
if you've given your life to Christ, if you're saved today, you've only experienced the first portion of what he wants to do in your life. You see, at that moment, he convicts you of your sin and you turn your attention to God. But there's so much more that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Jesus wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, to immerse you, to saturate you in his presence. So I ask you today, will you surrender to him? Will you surrender to his purpose more than anything else? See, what Jesus told his disciples in in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Jesus gave them another command. Now look here, there's something different. Oftentimes it says, and Jesus said. Or Jesus told. Or Jesus shared. But this time it says, he gave them another command command don't leave jerusalem but wait for the gift my father has promised in other words passionately pursue the presence of the holy spirit in your life that's the gift he has for you that's how vital the holy spirit is in our lives. It's time for the church no longer just to hang out in a building on a Sunday morning. It's time for the church to begin to passionately pursue the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need Him more today than ever before. Will you give your everything to Him? I know for some of you, man, this has been a, a series that has just rocked your world. It is stuff that you have never processed in your life. This is all brand new information. For some of you, it's kind of the refresher course in your life. You're like, oh yeah, I do need to be refilled. Would you take what we talk about each Sunday and would you apply it and would you Go back and look at the scriptures. I give you every single reference except for the ones that God gives me in the heat of the moment. But the ones that I have planned for, I give you those references that are written on your page or on the screens. Go back and and read that section of scripture. God, what does this look like? God, how does this connect with my life and, and in my life today? See, as your pastor, I want your walk with God to be so strong. But more importantly, God's desire for your life is to fill you and overflow in you with His power, with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here and you say, well, Pastor, I grew up in the Pentecostal circle, and I remember one time in 1978, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. My question is, what kind of changes that occurred in your life since that day? Have you continued to seek after Him? Have you continued to call upon Him? Have you continued to be refilled with Him? Remember, we leak. And we need a continuous overflowing of His presence.